we started uh, worship this morning, and I know what's up with y'all with this love business. Like, you know, every song is about love and love and love, and I'm like, what's with these people? They must have some kind of revelation about love, man. You know, everything is about love. The first song is, Jesus, we love you, and, you know, and we finish off at love in your presence, and, you know. So when I was uh, seeking God this week, and I was like, what? Lord, what do you, you want to say to catch a fight kitchen to your family there? Like, you know, what, what, what have you got planned for them? What is it that they're desiring to hear? And um, I felt like the Lord said, I needed to speak on the impossible commandment. What is the greatest commandment that Jesus gave us? You know, when we sing to Jesus these songs about love, and I know, you know, we all, we're in that place and we're just worshiping him and we're pouring out love. And we're just, if we could turn ourselves into this big giant blob, like a big red heart and just position it at the feet of Jesus, we would do that, right? And you know, when I'm worshiping the Lord and I say to him, Jesus, I love you. But I don't believe that I have a revelation of what that really looks like. But to the extent and the measure that I know how to love, I'm giving it all to you. Do you feel like that sometimes? Because, you know, as life goes on, uh, I'm picking my teeth now. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm fine. You don't see anything in my teeth? Okay. Oh, great. Mm. Oh. That, that organic fluoride-free toothpaste did the job this morning, so that'll cover up everything. But, you know, when, when you're... You know, with every experience we have in life and with every bridge that we cross in this journey of learning how to love, we either grow in love or we go backwards. So what is our choice? Our choice is to grow in love. We want to grow with every step that we take, right? So when the Lord was talking to me about, talk about this, this impossible commandment, and I'm like, what impossible commandment? And he says, oh, let me get myself right. He said, it's about loving one another. And for some of us, that's really easy, isn't it? Like, I mean, come on, it's easy to love Amy. Look at her. All full of the presence of God and, you know, just emanating love all around her. And that's an easy thing to do, isn't it? Easy to love. So I started to dig into the word, and um, I landed in Matthew chapter 5. So we're just going to go through this really, really quick, because I feel like, um, I don't know what it is, I feel like this prophetic thing brewing inside of me, and especially when you guys started singing about love, and I'm like, okay, you know, when you get apprehended by Christ, and it's like, okay, all right, I get it, yeah, I'm, I'm there, I'm with you, Lord. So let's go to um, Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus starts out, I find this really interesting. I, for me, Matthew chapter 5 is like the benchmark for discipleship. Everything in here and how we ought to live and, you know, and, and what, and, and Jesus defines some of, the, uh, some of the words and some of the sins that we would, we would probably not have a great definition of. So he starts off in Matthew chapter 5 and he starts off with the Beatitudes. Who doesn't love the Beatitudes? Come on, can anybody say, I'm there, yep, I'm there, I'm meek. Come on, we're all the meek people, let me see your hands. Yeah, real meek people, sorry, I ain't there yet. 
And then he goes on and he talks about the law and then he talks about murder and he defines what murder really is. Because you know, in our minds, we conjure up, like we, you know, guys, we get a little part of what Jesus is saying here in, in the Bible. And we conjure up all these thoughts about what murder is. Well, murder is going out there and taking a knife and stabbing somebody to death. And he's like, no, that's not it. It goes deeper than that. And then he talks about adultery. And again, he defines what adultery is. It's not, it's not the act itself of adultery, but it goes right back to the motivation of the heart and what happens in the heart. And then he talks about divorce. And, you know, if you're uncomfortable about divorce, Jesus, it, when he's talking about divorce here, the warning is for the men at that time. He's speaking to them about the unfairness, unfairness that was being, that was being perpetrated against the women of that time and, and divorcing them for any reason. And then he goes into talking about an eye for an eye. Okay, Jesus, you're talking about all of this stuff. Now you get to an eye for an eye. And he's saying, you know, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, right? He said that. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. But I say, no, it's not that way. What he's saying to us is, don't return evil for evil. He says, not an eye for an eye. You know, many years ago, um, do you guys know who Mahatma Gandhi is? His name is actually Mohindas Gandhi, but they call him Mahatma, which was a respectful title. Um, he went to England to study. I believe he studied at Cambridge. And while he was there, he studied the Bible, and he got a revelation of Jesus, and he really liked Jesus. But he made a statement that's, uh, that said, goes something like this. Um, the Christian life doesn't work for Christians. And I would, I would say that that's not true. But I understand what he was saying when he said that. And when he read about an eye for an eye, he said, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And you know, that really stuck with me. Someone who was not a follower of Jesus, and he had so much revelation, and he really had a deep, a deep impact about learning, um, from learning about Jesus. But then Jesus keeps going on. And then he goes to chapter, uh, sorry, to verse 43, and he says again, you have heard it, you have heard that it was said. So when Jesus is saying you have heard that it was said, he's saying that you heard it from man. Somebody told you this. You know how culture factors so heavily into our, our, our growth and our upbringing? You know, it may not be the truth, but because somebody in our lives said it when we were little, we learned it and we take it to be truth inside of us, right? So he's saying, You've heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the Jewish people are going like, what is he talking about? You've heard it said. You see, because in the law, there was nowhere where it said that you are to hate your enemy. And the Jews knew that because they were all about the law. So he says to them, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he goes on to say that you may be the children of your father in heaven. So, you know, when, when, um, when Jesus is talking about hatred for your enemies, the Israelites hated the Canaanites. Throughout the Bible, you will hear about hatreds between, hatred between tribes, right? Even in John 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well, if you know that story, anybody know that story? And she looks at Jesus and she says to him, you are a Jew and why are you speaking to me and asking me for a drink? Because you Jews don't have anything to do with us. There was division. They hated one another. 
You know, um, my husband comes from Scotland, was born there, and up to today, we have these jokes ever so often, we talk about the, the clans. You know, in Scotland, they have clans. So um, when we were getting married, his father said to him, do not take the tartan he wore, to, uh, he wore a kilt. It's a kilt, not a quilt, okay, guys? It's a kilt. <laughs> and he wore a kilt for a wedding. And his father said, do not take the tartan of the Campbell clan, which is from where he descended, because the Campbells have such a bad reputation in, in, in Scotland. And it's not just in Scotland. People, people immigrate to Canada, and they bring their tribal wars with them here, not just from Scotland, but other tribes, right? There's such a hatred and enmity, enmity between people. So he didn't wear the, um, the Campbell tartan. He wore the Scottish national. So we were all good. And then Jesus said, love your neighbor. So what's a neighbor? What does a neighbor look like? Uh, so I looked it up, and the definition of a neighbor is a person or a place in relation to others next or near to it. And then it says, any person in need of one's help or kindness. Somebody, somebody who's in, help or in need of help or kindness, right? That's what a neighbor is. To some of us, our neighbor is like George Wilson. You guys know George Wilson from Tim, Tim the Toolman? Anybody ever watch Tim the Toolman? Mr. George Wilson? That's all you saw, right? And they would have these long, deep, psychological and philosophical uh, conversations between the fans. And sometimes for us, neighbors are, are, are precisely that. It's just somebody that we say hello to and we pass. You know, we see in passing and we kind of wave to when we're leaving our houses. What does a neighbor look like to us, to some of us? Sometimes it's just the people that belong in our little clique, in our little squads, you know? People have their, their, little, their little groups, and it's only those people that we pay attention to. And Jesus is trying to drive home a message about what a neighbor is. Now, I, I did some, some theological searches about the scripture, but I'm going to leave that for Jonathan Berger and, you know, the Jacob Murphys of this world to talk about. I just want to focus on us and a very practical way and how we can be neighbors to one another and what this four-letter word looks like when we walk it out in our daily lives and why Jesus wanted us so much to get a revelation of what it is to really love. And you know, I've been on a journey of love. I have to say, I didn't know how to love. I had to be intentional about learning how to love. And I'm not just talking about loving my family. I'm talking about loving the person that crosses my path on, 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 you know, on a walk in the street. How to love that person that cuts me off on the highway. How to love unconditionally and selflessly. And then, you know, Jesus talks about uh, an enemy. He says, you've heard it said, hate your enemy, which was really not a commandment. So what's an enemy? I looked up that word, and it says, a person who's actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. Any hostility in the world today? Anybody got enemies? You know, I have to say, I don't believe that we should have enemies. I, I, I look around me, and, and maybe I'm naive. I don't think I have any enemies. But, you know, we need not have enemies in our lives. Because that Jesus himself has said, you know, if when we live, the word of God says, when our ways are pleasing to the Lord, he even causes our enemies to live at peace with us. Which means in actual fact, we have no enemies, right? If we walk in the way of the Lord. So he goes on and he's, um, he's talking about, you've heard it said that you should hate your enemy. And you know, 
when we think about enemies, what, what do we think of? We think of somebody who hates us and maybe somebody that you had a fight with or maybe you know it's your old boss because you never got along or somebody that really hurt you and did something really bad to you. But may I say that sometimes in some people's lives, their enemy might even be their spouse. Their enemy might be right in their family. Some people live these kinds of lives with constant conflict in their family lives. Come on. Walks home, comes in the door one day and leaves his shoes at the door and you trip over it. Instantly, he becomes your enemy, doesn't he? No? <laughs> Only my husband does. Okay. But you know, why, why is it? There's a very fine line between love and hate. Do you know that? In, in, Pro, in Song of Solomon 8.6, it says that love is as strong as death. Do you know why love and hate are so close together? Because it's the same depth of emotion that it takes to love somebody and the same depth of emotion it takes to hate somebody. Because quite often, the people that we love are the ones that hurt us the most. Nobody's experienced like that before? Nobody's had that experience? So it's that same depth of emotion that when you love somebody so much, and you have given them the very best of you. You have shared the most bonded, most intimate relationship with them. Like in a divorce, for instance. Have you heard about messy divorces? Do you know why? Because the depth of the emotion that bonded those two people together is the same depth that came and divided them. Where the hatred comes in. But I tell you, love your enemies. And he says, pray for those that persecute you. Okay, so the Jews were okay with Jesus saying, love your enemies, because they know that it wasn't written in the law. So they were like, okay, Jesus, you're saying love our enemies. We can, we can handle that one. But man, you're really pushing it now. You're telling us that we have to pray for people that persecute us? No, we, we can't do that one. Who here can pray for somebody when they've just hurt you? You can go home and pray for them and bless them and speak all forgiveness over them and it comes instantly for you and you don't get up the next morning with this thing in your spirit and your heart going like, Ugh. oh, okay, I'm so glad I'm in good company. <laughs> Listen, it takes a lot of strength to pray for somebody when they hurt you. And that's what Jesus was trying to get at us. In order to pray for somebody who hurts you, you need strength. And it's not a strength of ourselves. It's not our own inner strength, right? Come on. We are trying to get to the impossible. The Christian life is, can be difficult sometimes. And some commandments are close to impossible. But at the end of this, I'm going to tell you it's not so impossible. That we can do this. That we can love. You know, right now, we have a pastor, a PIH pastor, sitting in a Turkish prison. He's been there for almost a year and a half wrongfully accused, imprisoned, sharing a cell with 20 people that's meant to hold 10 people. And he has, we have been doing everything we can. Finally, Mr. Trump has stepped in and there's been a break in the case. I don't know if any of you have been following. But when we send prayers to him and we send messages to him, how do we begin to reconcile with what he's going through? And how do you begin to say, Andrew, you need to pray for your enemies. You need to love those people that are incarcerating you for the wrong reason. And you need to pray for them because they're persecuting you. How do we get there? 
I'm telling you, if there's anybody in this room that has already arrived, I would love to have a conversation with you afterwards. Because I still need to reconcile some things in my life. Every day I'm intentional and I make a decision and a choice. When I wake up, I'm going to love today. I'm going to choose to love. You know, there, um, if you want to hear about people's experiences, there's some books that I've read. Them. One of them's called The Heavenly Man, and it's about a, a Chinese pastor. Have you read that? It's amazing, just incredible of what he experienced. By the way, he's coming to our church in the fall. Um, I let the cat out of the bag, but another one is The Meaning of Life. Has anybody read that by Viktor Frankl? An incredible book, yes. Another one is Bound for Christ. And in these situations, these people expected to love the people that are persecuting them, that are beating them, hanging them in, um, upside down and beating their feet, you know, with a whip every day. They're expected to love. You know, the best benchmark for how we can um, assess whether or not we're truly praying for someone or whether we're truly forgiving and we're truly able to love is when we can pray a non-soulish prayer and pray for that person, that they would be blessed and that they would progress in their relationship with, Lord, with the Lord and they would come into their own revelation when you can actually pray like that. And I'm not talking about praying like in Proverbs 25, 22 where it says, when you pray for your enemies, it's like heaping coals of fire on their head, okay? And by the way, there's, a, there's an explanation for that scripture. It's not really about real coals of fire on their head. It's about the Holy Spirit coming upon them. So why is it that we're supposed to love? What, what is Jesus trying to get to us? What is he trying to drive home? He says here that we may be the children of our Father in heaven. Guys, we were called to go, this, the, the great commandment, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. How do we do that? We need an, an example. And the example is Jesus. And he tells us in 17, he talks about, you know, from John 14 right through into John 17, and he's talking about how he and the Father are one and how we can be one with him and with the Father because he is one with the Father. And he's trying to give us that, that, that picture of who we are in him and how we can actually become lovers like he is. You know, um, in, um, in, in verse 8, it says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Come on. At Christmas time, who do you invite to your house? All your friends and your church family, right? Come on, I'm talking to somebody. Yeah? We invite all our friends and all our church families, and, you know, we all hang out together, and we have a great time. I had a moment, uh, more than one moment, where um, the Lord was speaking to me about my friends. And he was saying, Lillian, who do you surround yourself with? And I was like, I started to think. And I started to look around me. And I was like, yes, God, I go to church on Sunday. You know, we do, we do cell group during the week. And then we have prayer. And then we have this and we have that. And all of a sudden, I realized that I surround myself with mostly believers. You know, and when you work in ministry as well, you're surrounded by believers all day long. So I thought, okay, what shall I do? Lord, what do I do? So I went to a crazy heavy metal concert, and I spent time in the mosh pit with these, with these kids, and then I felt all better again. No, I didn't, guys. 
I did go to a Styx concert, though. That's because our younger daughter said, we wanted, she says, uh, for my birthday, I want you guys to come to, with me to a Styx concert. And I thought, oh, well, that's a lot tamer than the screamo kind of stuff that she would listen to normally. So we were happy to go to the concert with her. But you know, um, I, we went out to dinner recently, last weekend, last weekend. I have two people in my life. One is a Hindu and the other one is a Muslim. And uh, I met them when I hired them. I used to work in, in HR and recruiting and headhunting many years ago. And I hired them to work in the company and I hired them for other jobs as well. And from the time that they met me and I hired them after a very rigorous interview and they thought they'd never get the job, see, I learned to love, you know? So yeah, I interview differently now. But anyway, we stayed friends. They've been so grateful and so thankful and we've stayed friends over the years. They know that I'm a minister. They know that I'm a Christian. I've never hid that from them. And every time I, I sit with them, my motive is not to convert them. My motive is to be an instrument of love. I just want to love them and love on them. And they tease me all the time. They call me Pastor Lillian. And you know we don't get together very often, but maybe four times a year we try to get together. And last week we went to one of their homes and we're sitting there and I'm looking across the table at them eating like, incredible food like they don't just cook you know barbecue chicken and a, two sides I mean you get a smorgasbord right so they set out a big meal and we're sitting there and I'm feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit and he's going this is good because all of a sudden I'm talking to them and I realize one's a Hindu one's a Muslim but I'm feeling all this incredible love for them guys I'm not being a heretic okay I promise you it's the presence of the Holy Spirit saying, you can sit across the table from them and you're loving them. All you're doing is loving them and you have no idea what seeds you're sowing because your motive is not just about converting them. Your motive is to love them exactly where they are and in the place that they're at, in the moment. Many years ago, I was living in Montreal. I lived in Montreal for 15 years and I remember I was going through a mall and going to get some, uh, some clothes for my younger daughter. She was, I, I can't remember, maybe 12 or 13 years old. And we're walking through and there was a staircase and, um, and, and the, um, what do you call that thing? Oh God, escalator. Uh, one side is a staircase and the other side is the escalator. And under the staircase I'm walking and this lady's going, Madame, Madame. And she had a hijab on and she was standing under the staircase and she said to me, Madame, Please, please. So she started speaking to me in French, and I do speak French and English. Um, and then I realized it was a stretch for her, so I said, I, I answered her, I said, in English, because it was difficult. And she says, Madame, please help me. She says, I, I came here, I have five children, and we escaped Bosnia. There was war going on in Bosnia at that time, and she says, and I have no food. Um, I'm a refugee, I have no food to feed my children, and I'm, I'm I need somebody to help me. And my daughter's with me and I said, okay. Um, you know, back then I was a single mother. I had two daughters bringing them up, uh, working a corporate job that was very demanding. And when I'm in the mall, I'm not a shopper. I don't go in and, you know, I browse and all of that. When I go in the mall, I'm intentional. I'm, okay, there's a dress, buy it, let's go, right? And I had no time for this. But in the instant, I felt, I looked at the woman's face and I just felt like I, I and when she said, I'm a mom and I have five children and something just hit my spirit. And I'm like, okay, God. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, 
Look on your right. There was a grocery store, and he said, take a cart. I just, I just felt the Lord say, take a cart. Take her in a grocery store and tell her to pick up everything she wants, and you pay her bill. So she went through, and I said, okay, what do you need? And she's like, okay, I'll just take some bread and some milk. I said, no. I said, what, what kind of food do you like? Here's cheese. Take two pounds of cheese, and I'm throwing it in her cart. And my husband knows that's not the first time I've done this. But anyway, <laughs> he gets these phone calls. I'm driving uh, this kid home. I met him. He told me he needed food. I'm going to a grocery store, and then I'm driving him home. But I'll keep you on the phone in case he's like a, a, a serial killer or something. And Yeah, I've done that before. But this day... I'm looking at this woman, and, I, and she fills up the cart, and she goes, you sure? I said, you take juice, everything you want. Anything here that you would eat at home. I said, Peter, you eat Peter in Bosnia? She goes, yes. Take a few packages and throw it in your cart. And then I brought her. She says, okay, madam, thank you so much. And um, we brought her to the doors with the cart so she could grab a, a ride home. She said somebody would come and give her a ride. She'd call somebody. I don't know what happened. But anyway, in that moment, I knew that God was doing something in my heart. But he was also preparing me for the future. Last year, I had my first grandchild. She's a year old now. My grandchild is half Croatian and half Serbian, with a father born in Bosnia. So many years ago, the Lord led me to bless this woman, to feed a woman and her children that came from Bosnia. And here I have a grandchild because my son-in-law is half Croatian. He was half Croatian, half Serbian. And during that time of war, he had, his family had moved to Bosnia. And that's where he was born. I'm telling you, when the Lord speaks to us about taking care of others and loving them, loving them in the way that he's asking us to love, him, love them, we may not know how to love in, 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 in its entirety. We don't know what that means like. But to the extent we know how to love, if we would just extend that. We just reach out to others and we give them just a tiny bit, just a tiny bit. And you know, Jesus keeps going on and in verse 9 and he says, and if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? And he, then he says, even tax collectors, tax collectors, the most despised people on the earth, are they not deserving of love? They must have somebody that loves them, right? They must have wives and, and, and your children that love them. So what he's saying is, we're not just to extend love to those that are easy to love and those that are our own little group and our own little, our own little, um, uh, you know, our own little click sometimes. I'm not saying click in a bad way because, you know, there's an organic kind of way that we connect with people and, and we build friendships and relationships. It becomes a click when we deliberately choose to exclude others because of some particular reason. I'm sorry if I'm being too, too bold here. But guys, if we're ever going to catch the heart of Jesus for loving people, we need to practice it, but we need to get the revelation. And we need to extend it outwardly. Or else, whose disciples are we? He says in verse 10, be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's impossible for man to be perfect. Anybody here perfect? I met a few people in my time. <laughs> we need the supernatural impartation of Jesus into us. If, 
if Jesus is saying to us, and it says in First Peter as well, be perfect even as I am perfect, the Lord says. If he's saying that to us, why is he saying it to us? Because he knows it's possible. Because even though we are in this sanctification process, every day of our lives, the Lord knows that through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us, that we can become perfect as he is perfect. Because you see, guys, love is a person. If you ever thought that love was just an emotion, love is a person. The Bible says God is love. And if love is a person and he's, he's God, and God by his Holy Spirit indwells us and lives inside of us, guess what? We become love. Are you love? Come on, tell somebody, I am love. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? We become love because we carry the Holy Spirit inside of us. And through the supernatural working of his power in us, we are able to love. Do we want to be perfect as he's perfect? I do. I came out of, a, of ungodly perfection. Okay, I worked in sales, I worked in corporate world, and I have to tell you that every time that I brought in a big sale and I signed a huge contract for somebody I headhunted and my boss would pat me on my back, my performance levels just went sky high. And I was always striving, man, I'm gonna be even better. Next month, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write more business than anybody else has ever written, and I'm gonna be the number one, and I'm gonna be this, I'm gonna be that. But I've gotten healed up from that. I had to seek the heart of God to say, teach me how to be perfect as you are perfect, not the perfection that I imposed on myself because of my own brokenness and my junk from my life. When I first met my husband, um, he used to listen to rock music. He was saved, but I forgave him. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, he listened to a lot of music. The Beatles was number one when he was young, a young boy. His parents bought him. How old were you when they bought you your first Beatles album? And that's an album. For the young ones in here, it's not, it's not an iPod. It's an album. It's, you know, a plastic vinyl thing, okay? You were eight. And, you know, he would listen to all kinds of music. And I remember one day he said to me, uh, no, he was listening to a song on the radio. And I said to him, what are you listening to? Oh, my goodness. That's, you know, that's, uh, I don't know what kind of word we can use for it, but that's real defiling. You can't listen to that music. He was listening to Queen. And um, I was like, you don't listen to that kind of music. And he goes, can I, uh, can I show you something? So one day he said to me, I want you to watch this. He showed me the biography, a video biography of Freddie Mercury, who's the lead singer of Queen. He was born in Zanzibar, which is off the coast of East Africa. He was half Indian, like me, half British, half Indian, um, and just grew up in a, uh, what do you call those, dorm, uh, sorry, uh, private schools, what do you call them? Um, boarding schools, thank you. He grew up in a boarding school, um, he was not really well liked, he used to play the piano, just incredible piano player, and he started singing in his, in his lonely times when he was by himself. He would write music and he would sing. And my husband said, I want you to watch his bi biography, and I said, okay. I watched it. And I'm crying. I'm watching this because I see, I see the degradation in his life from the lack of love. And I see him reaching out for love. And I see, you know, this, this deep inner hunger inside of him for love. There's so many people in this world, guys, that are looking for love. 
And we can talk about love for eons till Jesus returns. But the truth is that love is so missing in so many hearts and lives. And this guy, he wrote songs. He, he wrote a song called Crazy Little Thing Called Love. Please don't throw me out for talking about Freddie Mercury. Because guys, he is a human being created by God. Because God so loved the God loves the world, guys. You know, I'm nothing special. The only reason I'm special is because I know Jesus. Okay? But in the greater scheme of things, in comparison to everyone that, that God created, I'm nothing special. Do you understand what I'm saying? And he wrote this song called Crazy Little Thing Called Love. And then he wrote this song. And my husband says, I want you to watch this. And he pulls up the video and he says, can anybody find me somebody to love? Can anybody find me somebody to love? My husband says, I want you to read the lyrics. And I'm like, okay, God. Oh, God, I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. But, <laughs> you know, and I'm saying, but I'm choosing, I'm choosing to think like Jesus. I'm hoping I'm choosing to think like Jesus. So here's the lyrics. Oh, each morning I get up, I die a little. Can barely stand on my feet. Take a look at yourself. Take a look in the mirror and cry and cry. Lord, what you're doing to me. I have spent all my years in believing you, but I just can't get no relief, Lord. Can anybody find anybody to love? And I'm reading this and I'm going, oh my goodness, I judge this guy so many times because his music was, you know, it was devil music, right? I wouldn't listen to any of it and wouldn't have any of it. And I read this, and then when I watch his bio, I am not, I am not, um, I'm not saying that you guys need to go listen to, to Queen music, okay? All I'm telling you is this has been my journey of coming into revelation, of loving people beyond my capacity to love because of the supernatural power of God in me. And he's been breaking me, and he's been wrecking me, and he's just been, just, taken my heart, and I feel like it's smashed to pieces, but that's okay. Then he puts it together again, and he puts it back in here, and he goes, okay, now for your next step of journey. I'm going to take you on another journey. So I don't know the next time I come here what I'm going to look like. You might have like a, a ton of Kleenex boxes here, but anyway, we need to love beyond judgment. I'm not saying that we need, we need to accept sin, Okay? I have a daughter that lives with her boyfriend. And she says, Mom, I know. When she told me, she, when she came to tell me she was going to be living with her boyfriend, she says, Mom, I know your position, and I know how you brought me up, and I know all of that. She says, but this is my decision. So I said to I went to God, and I cried, and I said, okay, what do you want me to do with this? And the Lord said, you are not to, you are not to beat up on her, he says. Because the enemy will choose every pathway and every opportunity possible to divide you from your child. Oh my gosh. What are you all doing to me with this love business? He says, I want you to love her. I want you to love her. And I love her and I watch her having these incredible encounters with Jesus in the midst of her lifestyle. And she has a heart like I have never 
met before. And I said to her one day, I said, I see more of Jesus in you than I do in me. I'll stop crying in a minute. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that was the daughter that was with me when I, I met the Bosnian, Bosnian woman. Um, that's the daughter that um, every month takes a portion of what she earns and gives to the needy. We don't agree on a few things, and she has this, this hesitancy about giving her money to the church, but she gives it to people that are in need. And I know God's going to, you know, that's her journey. It's not mine. She's in the acting world, and um, a lot of Christians don't really have a lot of value for her. Um, she makes movies, she directs, she acts. Recently, she made a, 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 a commercial for Hyundai, a red Hyundai car. She did a commercial for them. She did a commercial for a, um, uh, an insurance company. She played a cancer patient who's in bed, and her brother's traveling around the world and, and, and FaceTiming her, showing her um, the northern lights and different things, you know, because she can't live the, her dreams. So her brother's traveling the world and doing it, and out of the... Um, she called me and she says, Mom, I did this commercial. I'm getting paid in U.S. dollars. Um, and because it's about cancer, I feel I want to um, donate all of this money to somebody who is fighting cancer, every penny that she made for the ad. And uh, there's a little girl in California, some of you know her, um, that's been struggling with um, leukemia. So my daughter sent a check for every penny that she earned for that commercial to help this girl to buy stem cell for a bone, bone marrow transplant. Guys, I'm not telling you that to sound proud or boast or whatever. I'm telling you that to say we need a revelation of love that is going to take us the journey of the next revival, whatever that looks like, because we need to love the world. We need to show them what Jesus looks like. Bob Jones died in 1976 and went to heaven. And um, when he went to heaven, he had a conversation with Jesus. And uh, he was sent back to the earth and just only died a few years ago on Valentine's Day. I think he died, which is so fitting for what Jesus asked him when he was in heaven, when he died in 1976. He asked him the question, did you learn to love? He didn't care about all the prophecies that Bob Jones had prophesied and all of his giftings. He said the Lord asked him, did you learn to love? So this morning, I'm done, but I want to say, if for whatever reason you have had struggles and challenges in loving people, I want us to stand. We're just going to take a couple of minutes, and I'm done, done. If you've had any challenges, if you've judged, you know, the Lord really challenged me about mission trips. I've been on many mission trips. I've been to India, I've been to Africa, I've, been to, I've led mission trips. And I remember the Lord challenging me one day, and he says, Lillian, why do you go on mission trips? I said, because I want to go spread the word about Jesus. And I want to go love on people. And he says, that's the key. He says, many people want to go on mission trips. 
And they go to third world countries and they go there and they spread the gospel and they do all kinds of great work. But he says, if you can't cross the street and have a cup of coffee with somebody from a different culture or a different color, then why are you going on a mission trip? Start it in your own city, in your own country, in your own church. That's the crooks of love. I want to say if you feel that you've been challenged and if you feel that you've had a hard time loving unconditionally, if you feel like you need a new revelation and you want to love like Jesus loved or loves, we are his disciples. We are called to love like him. So I'm a royal mess right now, and, um, but that's okay. I hadn't planned on this. But I want us to stand and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and help us to take all of those, any blindness, any, anything that has blinded us to being able to love like Jesus. Because you see, love transcends everything on this earth. It transcends riches, money. It transcends um, gifting and talents. It transcends lines, all kinds of lines, guys. I want us to take a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit, have I learned to love? So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come. Go deep into our hearts today, God. Father, we lay naked before you right now with our hearts wide open. But Father, we confess and repent for anywhere we have not loved. Lord, if we haven't learned, asking today that you will teach us if our culture, our upbringing has precluded us from catching this revelation and the truth of what love looks like. You promise, God, that if we ask, that you will give to us and you'll give generously to us. So we're asking today, Father, first of all, that you would come and wash us everywhere that we have dissed people, everywhere that we've rejected for whatever reasons, Lord. Prejudices and, and, and unkindness, Lord, we're asking forgiveness. asking you to wash us this morning cleanse us renew us restore our hearts give us more us. Lord our hearts cry this morning is that we would love Jesus with all of our hearts with all of our minds with our whole being, we will love Jesus more and more. And as we love Jesus, Father, we're asking that there will be a reverse osmosis taking place where that love will spin around and come right back at us into our hearts.
and that we will love like he loves father we acknowledge that it's not easy but we acknowledge a truth that through the supernatural impartation and strength of your holy spirit we can do all things and love is the characteristic of a follower of Jesus so we ask for a deep impartation i feel like just you know however you like to receive impartation just position yourself if it's stretching out your hand or you know looking up in the sky or whatever it looks like for you i just feel like the holy spirit's walking through this room he's touching us he's saying you ask receive so to the extent that i carry love in me and to the extent that i have received up to this moment i share it with you as well and i just release an impartation over you and i say receive receive the love of jesus in your heart it is your empowerment to love others You know, love propels. Heidi Baker wrote a book that says, "Compelled by love." Love is compelling. It propels. It's a force to be reckoned with. And when we have that force deep within us, we become a force to be reckoned with. It is an empowerment. Love transcends everything. So receive that empowerment into you right now. Ha! Shara masan. Stack it. Shara masike. Shara masi. And I'm gonna I'm gonna extend the challenge to you guys, if that's okay for this coming week. I'm gonna challenge you. to not not be wishy-washy and you know sometimes you know when the holy spirit leads us it's the right time not to just wishy-washy go up to somebody and say hey i love you but i believe god's going to give you an opportunity in this coming week where you will have a moment to look somebody in the eye and feel and discern and experience the depths of love through the agape of Jesus for that person and you will have an opportunity to hear that person say that they really discern that themselves and they receive it from you so i bless you in this coming week to have that experience you know is a difference between being on the phone and going to someone love you bye and grabbing a hold of them and looking deep in their eyes and saying i love you I stand with you that means I stand with you I fight with you I'm going to link arms with you and I'm going to be that force to be reckoned with with you I bless you guys to be carriers and to step into a new level of the love of Jesus Christ and to be 
new levels of love of Jesus. We just thank you that you are love. There's no end. There's no limit to accessing that love, to having love. God, we just want more of it. We just want more of that love. Holy Spirit, would you just come and increase that love within us? Would you give us vision of the ones that are hard to love and how you see them? And we thank you that this is just always about connection to you. That we don't have to conjure up enough and strive for it, but it's out of just connecting to his spirit that we truly learn to love. So Holy Spirit, teach us how to love. Teach us how to love. that people who come into contact with us go away feeling accepted and special because they've met with Jesus through us. Hmm. Yeah, we're gonna end the service now, but if any of you want more prayer, we would love to pray for you. You can come up here and our ministry team will pray for you. Hmm. But we just release you guys to have an amazing day <laughs> and just to keep connecting to Holy Spirit and to His love. Pray that you'd enjoy the sunshine and the, the good weather and hopefully find a pool or something. <laughs> have a wonderful afternoon. We love you guys.